Welcome to the Making Our Way podcast, where we are here to talk about navigating life in an unfamiliar world. Uh, my name is Chaz. I'm one of your co-hosts, and I am joined here by my other co-host, Lane. Lane, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. A little foggy outside, but other than that, I'm good. Yeah, it was a little bit of a of a of a dense fog driving in this morning. It was. Today, we're going to talk about our theme for today is on waiting. And uh, that's going to be sort of our main segment topic today. Uh, but before we dive into the main segment, uh, I want, we're going to, we always want to start off our, our podcast with what's spinning our compass. And to, uh, today it's, uh, so basically that segment is going to be all about uh, what's standing out to you in life right now. It can be something exciting, disorienting, something you found meaning in, a place you feel lost. And it's my turn this week to sort of talk about what's spinning my compass. And honestly, I don't have a very serious one today. Uh, we got a new dishwasher and <laughs> we installed it yesterday. Or no, let me, let me rephrase that. My wife installed it yesterday and it's the most amazing dishwasher that I've ever had. It, it has three levels. Ooh. And it, uh, you can adjust the middle rack to different heights. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those small things. It's like, you know what? This just makes, this just makes me happy <laughs> in a world where there's just so much crazy going on. I was amazed at how much I got excited about uh, a dishwasher. dishwasher. <laughs> so that, uh, unfortunately that's what I've got for spinning our compass today. Uh, but yeah, it was just, it was, it's just, and I figured out the dishwasher will connect to Wi-Fi. I have You're not serious. I am 100% serious. <laughs> we did not buy it for this feature. And so I don't know what it does when you connect it to Wi-Fi. I don't know if I can like tell Siri to start the dishwasher or something, but I'm curious to figure out what exactly it'll do when I connect it to Wi-Fi. So anyway, that's our sort of bit of ridiculous spinning the compass uh, for me, which is dishwasher because I'm so like dishes are like my job after dinner and so like this it just feels like I've really elevated myself in life with this new dishwasher maybe it'll play music for you while you're loading <laughs> that would be excellent actually maybe I can just tell it to to play some soothing music as I load it with dishes um but anyway uh so that is uh uh, that is what's spinning my compass this week. But uh, so Lane, you've actually sort of prepped our topic, uh, our main segment topic this week, which is on, uh, which is on waiting. And so I thought we could just dive right into that and let's just talk a little bit about waiting. So what do you want to, how do you want to start us? Um, I think one of the things that I've really discovered, particularly during COVID uh, is how difficult waiting is. And you think about all the different things that we're sort of in that process with, uh, we're waiting for things to change. You know, you hear people talk about, yeah. oh, I can't wait till this is over till we have the new normal, whatever the new normal is. So you have that. And then you have all this waiting, um, particularly about the reopening of schools and, you know, those arrangements are changing and are fluid. It seems like daily. Yeah. They're constantly changing. And um, as parents, it's just like the most ridiculous thing in the world. You don't even yeah. know what to do. And how can you plan? You no. know, that's, that's the other thing. And then, you know, the reopening of businesses, um, churches, institutions, um, and then also waiting for a vaccine. You know, that's the other thing we're, we're waiting on. So, in, in thinking about all that, I pulled a book off of my shelf that I read a couple of years ago that was given to me, and I really liked it. It's um, it's called The Seven Spiritual Gifts of Waiting. And there's particularly three gifts that the author talks about to begin with 
that we can gain, gifts we can gain from waiting. And the first one is she she outlines that patience can be a gift of waiting. And yeah, that's just that even that concept is so interesting to me. Yeah. Like the idea that like you can get a, something out of wait. Like like I don't I always think of I don't know. I'm not the most patient person in the world. And so like the idea that there is a gift in that process in and of itself is really interesting to me. Yeah. She, she talked in one, one part in the book about that she was learning sitting at a stoplight, you know, how irritating that is for her as a person to wait for the light to change and to change her perspective in her waiting for what she could receive in that time. Um, one of her quotes about that particular gift I thought was very meaningful. She said, waiting teaches us to live in increments in small pieces rather than large chunks. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. I like, I like that a lot. And that waiting with patience also means trusting that there is no quick fix. Our modern society would have us believe that there is a quick fix for everything if we hire the right specialist, maybe if we consume the right product. So patience teaches us that there's no quick fix. I really like that. I do too. And it really does. I mean, the, the idea that the idea that we do live in a world where everything is so instant, um, you know, as of whenever we're recording this, the new, they just had, Apple just had their new iPhone release yesterday. So they launched all their new iPhones and the big thing they were touting was 5g, right? So we've been Mm -hmm. hearing about 5g for a while and they were talking about how like fast these download speeds are. Like you can just watch, you know, you can download a movie at the speed of what you used to be able to sort of download a song or, you know, and so just this, we're getting everything, everything in our world becomes so instant. Um, and even, even now, like stuff where that used to take a long time, like we can, we can have, like, we can have stuff delivered to us. There's this instant, you know, we like what waiting five minutes becomes just this, this thing where it's just so, it, it feels so annoying or obnoxious. And so I just really like that idea of like, how we live our lives, like living our lives in, in these smaller moments, as mm-hmm. opposed to sort of these grand right. thinking, thinking of, we have to be a part of, we have to be working towards something magnificent or something important, or we're always striving or, um, but the life does happen in these sort of micro moments. I like that a lot. It's like what you were saying about the dishwasher. I mean, you know, that that's a small thing, but in the midst of, waiting in the midst of trying to be patient, you know, there's those little things uh, that can have so much meaning. Another quote, she says, when we have to wait without knowing the answers, without knowing what's ahead, we are nudged into a new perspective. Waiting without immediate solutions presents us with an opportunity to lean into the unknowing to let go of the false promise of a quick fix and to grow in patience. I really love that about if we don't know, we are nudged into a, maybe a new perspective uh, in our waiting. Yeah. And it, that really makes me think about like how we just handle things that we don't know too. You know, I think that um, 
you know, you know, one of the things that I think we hope to get out of this, you know, we hope to really focus on in this podcast is like talking about like those, un, the, those complex and unfamiliar and unstrange parts of life. And I feel like a lot of times, like we live in a world where, where, where we, if we don't have an answer or we don't know what the right, or we don't know what the correct thing to do is, then, then that, that's, that points back to some inadequacy in our inadequacy in ourselves, right? Like that we have to, there's something that we need to be striving towards. And if we come to something we don't know, that means there's a failure in our knowledge somehow. Um, and I think that can be really, I don't know. I think that can be really dangerous. Which heightens, you know, the anxiety and, yeah. and adds to feelings of depression and hopelessness. Yeah. And I see, I mean, the, the unfortunate thing is like, I see it like all the way down in different levels in our society. Like we have, we have teenagers and I see it in them and my wife's a teacher and she sees it all the time in her students like this sort of, um, especially during sort of doing school all online or all, all by computer. Like there's this, even the simplest thing of like turning in your homework to sort of uploading it. If you don't know how to click the right button or have it in the right file. So like there's all these things that, that just make, it's easy to feel like, like you're failing at something. Um, when reality is just, it's just a moment of, um, it's just a moment of not, of not knowing, right? you know, and that, that unknowing and not knowing something, we're not taught that that's an okay place to be. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we go back to what she said about being nudged in a new perspective, yeah. that, you know, this time of waiting can be a time of real personal growth for all of us because we're being challenged in so many different ways. And if we can sort of lean into it, yeah. you know, and, and see it in a more light way that, you know, what can I, what can I gain in this time of waiting? What can I learn about myself, about the world? Mm-hmm. What do you um, think makes it easier to lean into that waiting? Like, what do you think? Well, it, it sort of goes to the next thing she yeah. talks about, uh, which is she says the second gift of waiting is the loss of control. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I think being able to lean into it mm. is is to lose some of the control. She says um, we like the fact that we've got the situation under control, but waiting for something over which we have no control can topple our illusions of self sufficiency rapidly. She says there is a gift in this of realizing that we don't have to do everything by ourselves. So I guess leaning into it would be realizing that we don't have control and that there are other people who don't have control who are sharing with us in community. Right. Leaning into it by ourselves just makes us feel like we're often in this abyss where we don't know we don't know what's going to, you know, it just, it feels so isolating and you talk about feelings of anxiety and depression coming up. And, you know, I think that, that aspect of like, can, can we create almost like creating communities of unknowing? Like, you know, like how can we create communities who lean into like, I don't know, you know, like we're, I don't know, but like, all I know is like, we're going to be in it together, you know? And I think there's something, there's something, I think there's something profound to that. And honestly, like, I, you know, we were reading that the, um, uh, the, the quote where it says, it talks about self-sufficiency uh, and realizing that we don't have to do everything by ourselves. It just made me realize how, um, how like almost countercultural that 
that state, that phrase is, even in a world, I mean, we talk about individuality so much and that's important. Like you need to be able to express yourself and you need to be able to feel like you're not being told to be a certain kind of person. But I think there's also like something fundamentally social about who we are and, uh, and, and that we do like, we find who we are through other people. Um, and part of who we are is people is, is sort of creatures that don't have it all together. Right. Um, yeah. And, and that God has created us to be in community, to be in relationship. Right. And the, without that, like, there's no, like, there's not a, there's going to be a sense of, we're not, we're not going to know what to do with that, that unfamiliarness or that, that unknowing. Um, I think that's why we need, I mean, it's why we need other people in, in, in like a, not just like the sort of like fake sense of other people too, like the real sense of being able to sort of put all the other stuff aside and just be in, in communion or in community with another human. Yeah. My, my 88 year old dad was giving some gems of wisdom about COVID the other day. He didn't realize he was doing it, but he said to me, he said, you know, I can sit in here in my chair and I can have quiet time and I can worship. But he said, what I really miss about this time is the relationships I have with people in my community of faith. They mean so much to me. And I miss seeing them. I miss looking them in the eye. I miss hugging them, shaking their hand, you know, that loss of community because in that community, we know we're not alone. Right. And I think like one of the things that, that similar to sort of what you were saying, I, I think there's something so profound in that is, is the, how much those little, how much we miss those, how, how much we miss those, what we might've called small moments. Right. But, um, but in reality, like how important those were, like whether it was the, like, you know, the handshake when you see somebody at the grocery store or, um, or just that, like, being able to like looking people in the eye is not the same anymore. You know, even with the mask, like it's not the same with the mask on, you know, like all of these sort of like very small transactions, um, I think really added up in a way that like, we never, we never realized until they're sort of like all ripped from us. And, and I think if there's anything sort of like, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for it to come back. It's those kind of things. Yes. You know, uh, I think there's a lot of things that are, that are not, that are not going to, they're going to stay changed um, because of just the nature of the world. But those are the things I think I miss the most. And I, I would have never guessed that was the case. You know, right. I would have probably told you like, you know, being at a concert or being at a, you know, a movie theater or something would have been what I missed the most or, uh, but it was, it's not really those, it's really those smaller things uh, that, that, I, that, yeah, that I, that I think I want to, I want to wait to come back more than anything. Yeah. Then she, she talks about a third gift of waiting, which I think is really pertinent to where we are right now. Living in the present, she says, waiting teaches us to dwell fully where we are. When we can't control circumstances and we can't predict the future, we have the opportunity to live in the present. Um, I love the way she says to dwell fully where we are. Um, cause you know, how, how often are we, we say we're in the present, but our mind and our body and our soul is somewhere else. And we're not really dwelling in that moment and appreciating that moment. Um, 
I think that's been a gift of this time of waiting for me. No, I agree. And, and realizing like how, uh, how that, that like recognize being in the moment doesn't have to mean like you get some grand enlightenment in each one of those moments. Um, that it is like, it is appreciating the, the sort of smallness of it all. Um, and there is something, there is something profound in that. And I think like, that's what makes, I think things like, uh, it made me think of the, the, the recommendation I gave last week for that, um, the documentary on sort of social media and technology and stuff. And one of the things that it talks about is, is how all of those sort of social media, those pieces of technology, they're, 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 they're using what they call the attention economy. You know, they're designed, they're designed to get our attention, right? They want that. That's what they're competing for because that's how they, you know, they sell ads based on what watch time. And, you know, that's what they're after is our eyeballs looking at the screen. And I think there's something inherent about that, that will put it, it's designed to pull us out of the moment. Um, and especially now in today's with everything going on where news seems to be changing, like not even on a day on a daily basis, but it seems like an hourly basis. There's something coming out um, that is whether it's politics or whether it's related to the virus or whatever. And and it, it makes it so difficult to sort of like. To sort of be in that moment, because there's things that are. Even, even when we are, we're, we're isolated physically, but through the art, you know, through technology and social media we're it, we can be bombarded still with so much stuff that's pulling us away from like finding that space to really think, you know, to really process, to really, you know, identify with like, what am I to sit in that unknownness, um, which is inherently an uncomfortable thing, but at the same time, it's sort of like paradoxically, I think where we find the most meaning to right. right. In that, in that documentary, did, did they talk about how, when the social media tries to pull you out of the moment mm-hmm. that that's maybe one of the causes of increased anxiety? It is. Yeah. They do talk about that. They talk about how, like when it's, when we're constantly sort of pulled out of, we're, we're sort of pulled into this other, this other realm that's designed to sort of keep our attention and, and, to, and to sort of get us clicking on things and, and moving and, and um, you know, and, and looking at different ads or whatever that it, it is, it, it creates a different way to see yourself in that too. Uh, and I'm, believe me, I'm not trying to say like, we all need to be Luddites and, you know, throw our phones away or whatever um, because I use mine all the time. Uh, but I think it's, it's good to sort of realize the ways that the thing, the tools that we use, they're, they're no longer sort of neutral tools, you know, like there are, there are, they're like sort of designed to distract us. Uh, and you know, it's just important to think about that. Um, because it does affect how we see ourselves, especially for like, for, you know, um, people who are sort of developing who they are, like teenagers who are developing who they are in the midst of this world, like they're doing it in this world. It's very hard to sort of separate, separate those two things. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, I, I it does talk about that some. Makes me think that maybe my um, my discipline in this season of Advent, when we wait before Christmas, would be to set my phone aside <laughs> yeah. for periods of time and not and and just you know wait in the sense of be away from it and yes. then go back to it later. Yes, and so that you like it puts a different sense of control too. Like what's controlling what in this situation. 
you know, I think one of the, as strange as this sounds, like one of the ways, uh, one of the things that I did recently was, you know, I'm one of those people who like, if you see the like red dot on your app or whatever, like 12 emails or 10, like it, I, I can't see those. Like I have to make them go away as soon as I see them. It just stresses me out. And so recently I like turned off the notifications for my email. So like when I look at my phone, even if I have, you know, 25 emails, I'm not going to see the little 25 red dot. And I can't believe the difference in now how I just pick up my phone because it used to be, I'd pick up my phone, even if it's just to check the time. Cause I don't, you know, like then I would see 25 emails and then I've got to go instantly deal with those. Even if they're spam, I got to delete them. Or, uh, but now it's like, I don't know if I have emails until I click on my email and it's like small and trivial as that is like, it doesn't like it pull it, it, it created, it, it created just another, just a breath, just this, this sense of like, I don't, uh, I don't have to, I don't have to go into that, you know? Um, because you know, sometimes when you get into the, you know, talking about loss of control, you know, like that's what I feel like a lot of times when I'm in, if I get into sort of email, especially if it's like work stuff, like you get into this, into this work email land and you don't, you feel like you don't, you're not controlling this. It's controlling. You are in, you are in the river of what's going on and you're not paddling. You're just like forced wherever it's going. Um, and if you're doing that, you know, 20 times a day, like it can just, it just, it just makes you feel like you're not, you're not where you're at, you know? Um, and it is sense that that sense of, um, orientation is you're gone. called in the river. Right. Right. Cause I was, I was thinking the other day about, you know, growing up when they still had rotary phones. <laughs> I think I've seen those in a museum before. I think I know what you're talking you know, about. We didn't, we didn't have the, the instant communication. Right. And I think people, we're more used to waiting. Yeah. You know, and think about even before that, when you had to wait on a telegram, Mm -hmm. you know, from, from a loved one, maybe that was overseas, you had to wait to find out if they had gotten there. Yeah. And I wonder if the rise in technology, while there's so many wonderful benefits has also affected our ability to be patient. Yes. And to wait. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, going back to sort of what you said, like, it it affects how we divide up time too, you know, like it, it affects how we divide up our day because like, you know, we feel like if we have to wait an extra five minutes at the drive-through, then like, then I'm losing out on something. Uh, and I think it, it, it's almost this weird counterintuitive because like the one thing that the one resource that we're never, we're never going to get back is time, right? We only get so much of it. And there's no way to go back on it. But yet we are so, because we sort of live in this, in like this hurried space, it is almost like we let it, it's almost like we de- we're trying to save up all this time, but we're not really doing anything with it. You know, it's like, oh, I've got to, I've got to save all this time. I've got to hurry through this so that what's the, so what, you know, save the time. So what? And I think that's a, I think sometimes that's a really hard question because it, it, it takes you into those places where you don't, you know, you don't know. You, there's this sense of like, if I sit too long in that, then these sort of like bubbly feelings of like, uh, what is like, you know, not, not that they have to be super profound, but like, 
the, the really sort of existential questions of life begin to bubble up. So it's like, then we can sort of check Instagram or whatever, and we can like push those down. Um, and it gets back to what she said about fixing things. I mean, right. I know that's something I struggle with is, you know, you don't have to fix everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We are so used to, uh, because of the way the world structure, like we know, like we're given an end date. Like this is going to take 15 minutes. This is going to, you know, it's going to take two weeks to process this, or it's going to take, you know, you're going to get this back in six months. And we're confronted with something, I think for the, I mean, for the first time at something so significant of a level, at such a societal changing thing, that literally like even the experts, the ones who like know the most about, viruses and all of this they're like yeah we don't know you know like maybe like it could be this it could be that and it that's the this and that is anywhere between like six months and like three years you know and uh and i think that's a that's a tough thing to deal with and i do wonder like at other points in history did people sort of just did was there a different approach to that because i think now it's like we just assume there's an answer. We just assume that somebody's going to figure it out. Uh, and what do we do when it's like, nah, this may be bigger than all of us. And we're just going to have to just be in this together. Um, is, is, is it's a scary, it's a scary thing. Cause going back to what you said, it's about like, we're, we're used to being able to control that. We assume that somebody, if we can't control it, somebody can. And what do we do? How do we live when it's like, this is out of anybody's control. It's very difficult. Or somebody else that's in control. <laughs> Funny how that us. works out. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that works out. A number of years ago, when I was fortunate enough to visit um, in Israel and we were at the Mount of Beatitudes, it was the most beautiful place I think I've ever been looking down onto the Sea of Galilee. And the field was full of poppies, orange, purple, red. I've never seen anything so gorgeous. And our guide said, this is probably where Jesus gave his sermon on the Mount. And he said, consider the lilies. Do not be anxious. And so sometimes when I feel anxious, I think about that scene. Yeah. Um, that even the lilies, you know, don't I, fret. <laughs> I do quite love that that passage of scripture for that same reason. Like there is this sense of, um, just breathe, you know, just, uh, you know, just, and, and, you know, it's one, it's one thing after the next, no matter what you're, you know, and I think it's, sometimes I feel like it's easy for, for me to say that because I'm, I, I relatively speaking, don't have a lot of things going on. And there's a lot of people in the world and in life that are like, that struggle on a day to, on a daily subsistence level, much more than I do. But at the same time, I think that is something that does apply to all of us, you know, that there is this, um, you know, we strive for a better world. We strive for um, eradicating injustice and we strive for, you know, dismantling all of those sort of destructive things in our society. But if we don't, if we don't have a ground, if we don't have that sense of this isn't, I'm doing this because I know who I am, not because I'm trying to figure out who I am. Uh, it really changes the perspective because it, it, it gives you an endurance to life uh, 
that is that is hard to cut that, that sometimes I wish I had. I don't think it's ever something I have very often, um, but it's something I, the people I admire the most are the ones who are able to give so much to sort of, um, you know, important things in the world. Uh, but they have an inner sense of peace and they have, yeah. And it, it's, it's not coming from this sort of like, I need to figure out who I am. And so I'm imposing this onto the world, but it's like, no, I figured out who I am. And that allows me to go and fight the struggles that need to be fought. Um, because I think now more than ever, we need that sense of, 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 of grounding, of resilience, of what's, what's going to get us through this. Cause a lot of the problems we have to tackle are not going to be simple ones. You know, like the things we're facing ecologically, economically, all of that, like they're not going to be like, there's not going to be one quick fix to this. It's going to take a group of people that know that, that can be held together. They're held together by something. Um, and I, I love that idea of just, you know, they're held together by what's unknown, you know? And I think and to realize that I don't think what Holly's talking about in her book is necessarily a passive waiting, but that waiting can be active I love as, that. as we wait on what, what God's going to do, how we're going to be involved in that. That's, that's an active process. That's not sitting back and saying, well, you know, there's not anything that I can do. Um, it doesn't turn to cynicism. Right. I love that idea. I love that idea of active, of, of, of sort of like active waiting that it's not, it's not a relinquishing yourself to the world um, because that is so, I mean, I felt myself doing that so many times during whatever. It's just like, uh, like it's just tired of it. I just don't want to, I just don't want to. And uh, yeah, that I, and I think to, in order to sort of actively wait, there has to be something that some kind of, whether it's internal practice or something that grounds you, to that that whole idea of the lilies of the field right um no I i love that idea a lot As we sort of close out our main segment, we wanted to sort of tease out what we'll be talking about, uh, I think for the next four podcast, which is, so this idea of waiting is really tied to uh, this season in our, in our year, uh, in, in the church year called Advent, which is, you know, we all have heard that term. I typically used to relate it to sort of chocolates that I bought at the store of the little thing. And it was very difficult for me not to eat all of the chocolates at once. And I had to wait each day to eat one piece of chocolate. So like that's, you know, like, you know, we, so we get this, this is what we think of, well, this is what I think of when we think of Advent a lot, but there is this, I mean, Advent means waiting, right? And so how do you think we can make this a season of waiting to where we can, uh, we can sort of intentionally try to gain something out of it? Well, I think about light during Advent because we celebrated it. Think what is the darkest time of the year, and symbolically, as we add light or candles to our 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 celebration, we increase the light. So there's that increase of hope, um, even in the midst of waiting. The light reminds us of hope 
that there's something that's coming that we're actively waiting on during Advent, which is, you know, the, the coming of Christ at Christmas. It's an interesting thing to think about this. I think there's an interesting opportunity this year for this particular Advent um, because even a lot of the, I was listening to this on the radio the other day, you know, so like Christmas has all kinds of connotations, right? So there's the, obviously there's like the, the consumer side of Christmas, which is not all bad. Like, you know, you buy gifts for your family, your loved ones, all that kind of thing. And, uh, and there is almost this sense of like waiting in that too. Like it's usually waiting for sales, you know, at stores. Uh, but what I thought was fascinating was, so because of everything going on, like all of the major stores are not doing black Friday the way that they used to. And this for, there was one side of my family that that was, if there was anything that was a ritual for them during this season, it was like black Friday. Like that was what started Christmas because you know, it was all about going out at 4am in the morning and getting the sale and all of that. But all of these stores are They're basically, they don't, they want to avoid these mobs in their stores, obviously because of COVID. And so they're spreading out these sales. And even so what I found very interesting about that is that even some of these very consumeristic sort of what I would call like secular rituals, uh, they're even being disrupted, you know, and I think in some ways there's going to be some people where that <laughs> that's going to affect them more than some other things. And so to me, this, this opens up this opportunity. Like there's this, there's this, there's this sort of fissure in the world for this idea of Advent, um, and why we celebrate it every year, like why it's not, you know, it's why we, we go always go back to this season to, uh, to think about and to think about the idea of waiting and what are we, when we talk about Christ entering the world, right. Which is what Christmas and Advent sort of, that's what we're waiting for. Like it, it really challenges us to think about like, what does that mean today? Like when, if we, if, if, if Christ were to inbreak into our world, what would be different? You know, what would be different? And we have a season to think about, like to, to wait for that. Like, what are the, what are the tensions that Christ needs to overcome? Like, what are the, what are the things that we need that we need God to inhabit for us? You know, what do we, what do we need God to incarnate in our world this year? You know, in 20, and I think 2020 would have plenty of things that, you know, God could, it'd be great if God came back and fixed Um, but, uh, but, but I think this advent is, is really interesting in that regard. And it can be a chance to be re, I don't know if this is a a word, regrounded in the present. Yeah. You know, I think regrounded is a word. We'll make it a word now. (laughs) As Christ came to be with us, to be grounded with us, you know, we, we find our ground again. Yeah. And for me, whenever I talk about, for me, and, and I, I think I may have even said this last week, so I hope I won't repeat this every single podcast, but I might. Uh, whenever I think about Christ, I always go back to uh, to the idea that that we need other people to show who Christ is to us, and that this is that is never something that is done on an end like on an individual basis, which I think is a in in a lot of forms of Christianity and, and spirituality, like there is this very individualistic bent. You know, it's just me and Jesus or it's just me and God, uh, which I mean, that's important and that's true. And those are very valuable. But I think in this time, the the idea of the, the spirit of Christ being between us um, and and the need to sort of focus on what that thing that is that sits between us, even between 
those we love and those we hate between our friends and our enemies, like where is that spirit of Christ and what does it mean to live into that? Is it because that can go anything from sort of like challenging the powers, which we know Jesus did to loving neighbors to loving in And so like we have to, we have to sort of sit in those moments of waiting to see where that spirit of Christ is in between, in between us, because there's something, there's something mysterious there. Um, and I think the, I think that's one of the, the beauties of, of Advent too, is, is that you can, you can, that you can wait for that illumination, but you sort of got to be in the darkness first. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things I love about, uh, that's one of the things I think I'm going to miss the most about sort of Christmas Eve services is those moments the way we do candlelit services where you start out in utter darkness and then these lights sort of emerge and they move to full brightness. Uh, there is something, there's something powerfully symbolic about that, not just, uh, in that moment, but as a, as a way to think about the way, the way life is, you know, like we have to be, we have to be okay in those dark places because I mean, if we're using, you know, carrying that theme through, like there's four weeks of darkness and only sort of one day of light, you know? So like, you know, numerically speaking, there's a whole lot more darkness than there is light. Um, and I think being okay with that and, and having the ability to sit in that unknowing, um, without, with other people in a way that we can draw our strength from it. And, uh, is, 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 can be an important thing. Well, uh, anything else on this way? I really like said, Lane, I really, I really like this topic and, uh, do give us the name of the book one more time. Um, the name of the book is the seven spiritual gifts of waiting and it's by Holly Whitcomb, W H I T C O M B. And it is available from Amazon and, uh, it's printed by Augsburg press. Awesome. Yeah, I that, I really appreciate, and I think that could be a. I feel like it's very appropriate to pick up a book like that these days. It's great. Uh, so I think that's going to wrap up sort of our main our our main segment here, talking about waiting, and we're going to sort of close out uh, by going to our recommendation section, which is where one of us will give you something to sort of think about, uh, to look at, to read, to view, to whatever something that we've experienced recently that we think would uh, be beneficial for you to experience this week. Lane's going to give us his recommendation. Well, <clears throat> I would encourage you to buy this book, um, the seven spiritual gifts of waiting, because there are seven gifts that she talks about that we can gain from waiting. And it's a very readable book. It's very real. Uh, she grounds it in everyday life. Um, she is a Christian and there are some elements of spirituality in it, but there's also a, just a lot of practical things that you can use in daily life. So I would encourage, I would encourage everybody to, to buy the book and to read it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, I think that's a great one, especially like, you know, sort of preparing for this, this season that we've been talking about. Um, I think it's a good one. So, um, so thank you for joining us on another episode of Making Our Way. Uh, where we are, like I said, where we're here to talk about navigating life in an uncertain world. So we hope that you have enjoyed this. Uh, if, if, if this is your first one, go back. We've got one. Uh, we've got our introductory podcast where we talk a little bit about uh, sort of why we're here, what we're doing. And so definitely go check that out uh, and, you know, subscribe. So we'll have more of these coming down the line. Uh, we're shooting for at least 
uh, two episodes a month. And uh, so, yeah, hope you'll join us and give us your feedback. 